Okay, so let's turn to Hebrews 7. Let's do some reading. We're going to start with chapter, uh, chapter 7, verse 11. We're going to read 11 through 19. So if you just follow along with me. So Hebrews 7, 11 through 19. If indeed then perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people have received the law, what need was there still that a different priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek, and that he should not be said to be according to the order of Aaron? For since the priesthood is transferred, of necessity there comes into being a transfer of law also. For he of whom these things are said belongs to a different tribe from which no one has attended to the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was risen out of Judah, concerning which tribe Moses spoke nothing about priests. And it is still more abundantly evident, since it is according to the likeness of Melchizedek that a different priest arises, who has been appointed not according to the law of a fleshy commandment, but according to the power of an indestructible life. For it is testified, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For there is on the one hand the setting aside of the preceding commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness, for the law perfected nothing. And on the other hand, the bringing in thereupon of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Amen. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, again, you have given us this, this incredible book, and in this book is this letter to the Hebrews. And Lord, we have had the wonderful opportunity for which we thank you so very much to handle this, to teach in it, Lord, and we are so grateful that you continue to open it up to us. And that's our prayer again tonight. We pray, Lord, that the Spirit of God would take this word and make it alive to every single one of us here. And bring us into a deeper, more profound relationship with you. Something that I believe in this passage is called perfection. So Lord, open it up to us for your glory and the good of all of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So in some sense, I think a lot of this, if you just read it, take your time and read these verses, I would encourage you to do that. Read it through, read it aloud, read it to your husband, read it to your wife, do that, do this. A lot of the argument will just come out of its own, okay? There's a couple points, though, I want to keep in mind as we walk through this, and we're going to spend a little time on two points in particular. So I want you to keep this in mind as we're talking about this tonight, okay? This letter was written to Hebrew Christians, Hebrew Christians, who were tempted to go back to the whole order that was established at Sinai. We call it the Old Covenant. But was now passing away. He's going to say that a little later on in one of the chapters. It's passing away. And in fact, he's going to say very clearly, it was never intended to last forever. So keep that in mind. There's this temptation. They were going to back to something that they were very familiar with. They were under a lot of pressure, persecution, etc., and there was the temptation, am I really on the right path or should I go back? Secondly, the function of the priesthood. Kevin mentioned this last week. The priesthood is set up, and any sort of priesthood is set up, to deal with the obstacle of sin. We have a big issue. Anybody disagree with me there? There's a big issue on this earth. 
Mankind is entrapped within this thing called sin. And at the very heart of sin is independence of will and rebellion to God. Okay? So the priesthood is there so that we can enter into the presence of God. They are to function, to bring us into the presence of God, and then to bring God's blessings to us. And in the book of Hebrews, I believe that this word perfection has a lot to do with that. And we're, that's one of the things we're going to look at tonight. Thirdly, God has an eternal purpose. I want you to note that. God has an eternal purpose with a design, a plan, and a means to bring it about. The whole of that is called, and you can read it in some places, especially in, Hebrew, in Ephesians, it talks about a dispensation or economy of God. And that's what we're talking about. There's a purpose, there's a plan, there's a design, and there's the means to bring it about. Okay? And there is no plan B. I mentioned this last time I was, I was teaching. There's no plan B. This is not a kind of, uh-oh, something happened. I got to do something different now. So the, the author is going to imply that. He says, the Sinai covenant, the old covenant, the old priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood was a temporary thing to display something. It never was intended to last eternally. Okay? And what happens as this economy moves through time, I call it, it's, it comes in a bundled package. He says there in verse, uh, verse 11, it's connected with the law. The, priest, the law was brought in under the priesthood. So it comes in a bundled package. It was all involved with the Levitical priesthood. It's a package deal. There's sacrifices, there's temple, there's a tabernacle, there's law, there's hope, there's promises. It all comes in a big package. So the argument in this passage is this, that if the Levitical priesthood is deficient, then the whole package is deficient. Does that make sense? If the Levitical priesthood, which is this, is really the foundation you got these laws, but if you can't bridge the gap in violation of those laws, which is called sin, if you can't bring and deal with that issue of sin so that the people can draw near to God and God can draw near to the people, this is a deficient system and needs to be replaced. In fact, it was never intended to operate forever. And we're going to see that as we go through all these chapters, 7, 8, 9, and 10, they're going to deal with this issue of the package deal. And it's deficiency. Okay? Now, we start off in verse 11. The gist of the argument here is stated right there in chapter 11. I mean, verse 11. If indeed then perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, what need was there still of a different priest that should arise according to the order of Melchizedek? Okay? What need was there? If the Levitic, Levitical priesthood was bring about something it calls perfection, and that's what we need to talk about. This is somewhat of a confusing word to a number of people, I think, and we need to all ask ourselves, why does it say that, it that way, okay? But what it's saying is, God, if, if, that, if the, the Levitical priesthood was ever to, able to do that job to bring in perfection, there would be no need. But in Psalm 110, 
Let's go there for a minute. Psalm 110. David, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote this magnificent psalm. This psalm, the whole of this psalm, is the most quoted passages from the Old Testament in the New. There are more quotes from this psalm than any other section of the Old Testament in the New Testament, okay? The Lord himself addressed the first one, first verse, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And he asked the, uh, if you remember, the Sadducees and Pharisees and those guys, he said, well, if, if the Messiah is David's son, how come in this psalm he calls him his Lord? Whose son is he? <laughs> A confusing question they didn't, they didn't know the answer to. But it says in verse 4, the Lord has sworn, and he will not change. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So here he is clearly saying that Messiah, when he comes, will be of the order of Melchizedek, and it will be permanent. And it was sworn with an oath. And I'll tell you what, God never violates a single oath. Once he has sworn an oath, he never goes back on his word, okay? So the argument in this passage, it's clear, I think, if you walk through it again. But where you've got some sticky points, and these are where I want to spend the time tonight on, is in verse 11, this mention of perfection. It's also mentioned in verse 19. Look at verse 19. This is quite a statement. First part of it, in my translation, they put it in parentheses. He says, the law perfected nothing. He calls it in the preceding verse, weak and unprofitable. Some of the other translations say, useless. What good is it? If it can't bring us to perfection, what use is it? It's like I said last week, it's a diagnostic tool. You take your car into the, uh, deal, you know, the, the place where they fix it up. He hooks up the, the diagnostic tool. He starts it up, gets it all revving up. He, he assesses it and he says, sure enough, it needs a lot of work. See you later. What kind of deal would that be? Anybody do that? Take your car into the dealership and uh, have them diag diagnose it and then say, well, that's it. Can't do anything with it. That would be a frustrating thing, I think. That's what the law does. The law tells us we got some issues. You know what? After a, little, after a few times, I think we all say, you know what? I know that. Don't tell me again. What can you do about it? Okay. And the other one, there's these two items. So we want to talk about perfection. What is perfection in the context of Hebrews? And secondly, this is one of my favorite verses, verse 16. It says, those that are of the order of Aaron, the order of, of Levi, they were appointed by the law of a fleshly commandment. In other words, and we'll talk about that, it's just, it says, the qualification you need to be a priest is are you of the tribe of Levi and is your descendant as a high priest through the line of Aaron? That's, that's it. But here it says, with regard to this other one, he was appointed according to the power of an indestructible life. And that is absolutely key to the priesthood, the high priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we do not know and experience the power of that indestructible, indissoluble, endless life, 
then we have no hope of perfection. No hope of perfection. That's how he, how he ends it. We have, we are bringing, he's the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And that's the clue. By the way, the eternal purpose of God, I could summarize it here, one verse out of Revelation 21. So this is the target, if you will, a very apt description of perfection. It's in Revelation 21, verse 3. It says this, And I heard a loud voice out of the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will tabernacle with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them, their God. I think that's the pinnacle, right? That's perfection. And throughout the whole of the whole Bible, from from the first to the last, God is attempting to bridge the gap that separated us from him called sin. He's attempting to bridge that gap so he can permanently dwell with us and we can dwell with him. And then all the other stuff happens. He wipes away all tears. Death is destroyed. All these things are gone. How? By the mutual dwelling together of God and man. That's the ultimate goal. That's the target. That's perfection. Okay. Now this word perfection, verse 7, verse 11, excuse me. The word here is telesios, teleosis, excuse me, teleosis. Now maybe that doesn't mean a lot to you, but that, that word is used one time right here in Hebrews. But there are other cognate words that use the same base word telos. And those words, all together taken, are used 18 times in the book of Hebrews. 18 times. That sounds like it's very important. You know, if somebody keeps mentioning something, either you fall asleep or you catch up and go, wow, this is a very important point. It's used 18 times. The word telos, okay? It basically means to bring to the end. That's what it means. Now, I was very careful to use the definitive pronoun, the. Notice that. It's not to bring to an end. It's to bring to the end. And what that implies is there is design and purpose, intent. There is, a, there is an intended end, okay? It means uh, to, to bring to completion, to bring to maturity. We talked about this. We were looking at it in chapter 5 at the end of chapter 5. The author is saying, you guys are a bunch of children. And you're not perfect. And it uses one of these cognitive words here for perfection. It means you're not full grown. And what a sad thing it was. It is. And here he was saying it was a sad thing that you guys have been around for so long and you're still drinking milk. Now, if you invited me over to your house for dinner and you served me milk, I'd be, I tell you what, I, 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 wouldn't know, I wouldn't know where you were. You weren't somewhere you should be. If, if what you serve is milk, right? Come over and, you know, for a barbecue, you should be serving me some steak or something. That's what I'm thinking. So, there, here's these words, 18 times. And like so many concepts in the book of Hebrews... They address the current state 
a reality today and a future state. Okay? So there's perfection now, but there's a perfection that we are going towards, and we're not there yet. We're not there yet. In case you haven't noticed, I was noticing today, this thing is still giving me problems. Every day, this thing gives me problems. I'm not there yet, right? How about your hips? How about your teeth? No, I'm just joking, but... Okay. And if you'd like to go through all these words, I can give you the list. I, we're not going to take the time tonight. They, they stretch from chapter 3. There's fulfillment 3, 6, and 14. Chapter 6, verse 8, and 11. There's the one, the teleu, okay? And this is the one we're going to focus on a little bit more tonight, where it says that Jesus, as the author of our salvation, was made perfect through sufferings. And it mentions that again and again, right? Mentions in chapter 2, chapter 5, chapter, at the end of this chapter, verse 28. For the law establishes men as high priests who have weakness, but the word of an oath, which was before the which was after the law, established the Son made perfect forever. Okay. So I believe that the that the word that's used in verse 11, perfection here, is critical for us to understand what's, what's being talked about in this verse. What is it that the Levitical priesthood, and therefore the law, and the whole package deal, is not able to do? And why? Why? Okay? So here, this word, as used, it's only used again uh, one time. It's... Uh, it is uh, teleo cease, okay? It means the act or process of consummating to bringing to an end, to the end. It's the act, not the focus on the thing itself. It's the act. It says what makes it perfect. And so with that reference, I believe it refers, it can be referring to two things. The priesthood itself is not perfect. The priesthood itself is not perfect. I want to read a quote here out of uh, one of the commentaries I was reading. He says, The author's use of teleosis, the act of perfecting, rather than the word teleotos, tase, which is perfection itself, is worthy of scrutiny. We need to take a look at it. And then he says, if the use of the term parallels its usage in the Old Testament, and it does, this word is only used twice in the New Testament. It's used 12 times in the Old Testament, in the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament. It's used in Leviticus, and it's used in Exodus. And it's used to describe, okay, the context is the consecration of the high priest. I think... Recently, I can't remember when it was, but Kevin mentioned this. When the high priest was consecrated, he was made. When Aaron was made high priest, Moses did an offering. And what he did was he put the blood on the earlobe, the right earlobe, the right thumb, and the right big toe. Consecrating Aaron and then his sons to the high priesthood. Okay, and here's what he says there. If that's what it refers to, and I believe it is, it's kind of like we were talking about last time in chapters 3, 4, 5, and 6, the author has in mind very much Numbers 13 and 14. He is looking at that. He's referring back to that. 
And he's doing the same thing here. He's looking back at how the Levitical priesthood was consecrated. And the word there in, the consec- in, that, in those sections in Leviticus and Exodus are this word perfected. How were they perfected? It was by that sacrifice making them a perfect priesthood. Okay? If that's the case, the external ceremonies of animal sacrifice and the placing of the blood upon the priest for consecration merely symbolized transformation, perfection, but was in fact powerless to bring it about. Let me read that again. What we're looking at here, and you think about what happened in the Old Testament, that was a thing of picture, type, all that stuff. It says it in the next, in the next chapters. It talks about how, uh, ver- look at chapter 9, verse 9, which is a figure for the present time. Verse, chapter 10, verse 1, the law having a shadow of good things. The law and all those things were a shadow of something else. He talks about one of the, uh, uh, it was Paul talked about, he says, all of these things that we're looking at in the Old Testament were shadows, but the body that casts the shadow is Christ. Christ is the reality of all those things. Okay, so if a shadow, what does it do for you? Does anybody really, are you all enthralled with shadows? Are we all, that would be a sad thing. Yet, I would say this, the Jewish population was enthralled with shadows and pictures. What would you you rather have? Rick, I notice your wife isn't here tonight. You know, you probably got a picture of her in your wallet. Would that suffice you? Yeah, you know, you see what I'm saying there? That would never suffice anybody. My wife is here. She's in the back. She said she was going to be hiding tonight. I can see her. Okay. It would never suffice to have a picture of her just sitting on my wall, sitting on my desk, sitting in my wallet. That would last for a couple days if she was gone somewhere. That would not satisfy me if, if that was a forever kind of deal. So, the priesthood of Levi, of Aaron, was a picture, a shadow. It was shadowed, it was pictured through ceremony, through this elaborate ceremony, through these things that they did. But it was in fact, and he says this here very clearly, it was powerless to bring perfection about. They did not make perfect the priest, and that's why there's a Repeated emphasis through this chapter we're looking at right now. It uses the words weakness, unprofitability, uselessness. It brought nothing to perfection. And therefore, if it didn't do the job of perfecting, which again is closing the gap between God and man caused by sin, bringing us into an eternal fellowship with God. If it can't do that, It's time for a different priesthood. And that word another that's used throughout this, a different priest, another priest, is the word heteros. Now, I think we all are familiar in current society with things called homo this and hetero this. 
right? Homo means the same, very simple word. Heter means different, of a different kind. And so we don't want to repeat. We're not looking for the same old thing. We need something extremely different to do the job of perfection, okay? In God's purpose and economy, there is the need of priesthood. How God mapped this thing out, and he gets to do that since this is his thing, how he designed it, how he, he intends to bring his economy about is through something called a priesthood. He's doing that. But ceremony can never perfect the priesthood, and so this whole economy, the whole economy, is weak and useless in the sense of actually bringing anything to perfection. That's his comment, verse 19, first part. The law perfected nothing, okay? The entire system of law, temple, priesthood could not, in the final analysis, bring people into the presence of God. That is key. Listen, if you think back, and he's going to mention it coming up in chapter 12. Think back to the whole economy. How many people actually got to go into the presence of the living God? How many people? Does anybody know? John? One guy. How many times? Once a year. This does not seem to be working very well. If the goal is to have people dwell in the presence of God and God to dwell in the presence of his people, this is not working very clear. In fact, we'll get to it. Chapter 12, he says, if anybody gets near, when God came down on Sinai, if it says if anyone gets near to this mountain that's shaking, quaking, and of course it was shaking and quaking, and there was the blast of trumpets, and the people said, we don't want to go near. And they didn't come near, but he said, if anybody comes near, they'll die. It is said of the high priest when he went in once a year, they'd put bells around him, and they put a rope around one foot, and if the bells weren't tinkling, if they couldn't hear the bells, the guys in the holy place, if it stopped, and they kind of timed it, I think they said, I don't know how many minutes, they said, if it doesn't ring for so long, we pull him out by the rope. Nobody else is going in there, right? You get the little thing there. If somebody died in there, you want to go in there and get that guy out? No, if that guy died, I don't want to die. So the whole, the whole structure of the old economy, it's priesthood, prohibited people from coming anywhere near the holy place or the holy of holies where the presence of God dwelt. So if the priesthood as the basis of the entire old economy is weak and useless, so is the rest of it. And we're going to go on to that. The law is over. The temple, that was a temporary temple. There's a temple made without hands. Eternal in the heavens, it says. Okay? Now, one other thing, and I think this is important too, and it, it's important to where I want to get to tonight. Regarding the perfecting of conscience. So there's the priesthood, but I believe this also talks about the perfection of conscience. Go to chapter 9 and verse 9. He's talking about the Holy Spirit making clear in verse 8 the way into the Holy of Holies not yet been manifested while the first tabernacle has its standing. And there he says, which is a figure for the present time. 
According to this tabernacle, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, listen, which are unable to perfect as to conscience him who worships. Again, when you reflect upon what happened at Sinai, when it happened every year, when the high priest went in for the, that atonement for the people of Israel, okay, it was not a happy, pleasant thing. It was a fearful thing because they were not certain how it would turn out. You know, many, many times in the Old Testament, people saw the wrath of God. It is fearful. He says in this book, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And if it were not for this perfect work done by the new high priest, the high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, we would also live in that manner. We would. I would not want to go to God. I mean, I would go to God if there was an emergency. But I wouldn't be happy to go to him. I wouldn't be ecstatic to go to him. Verse ten, chapter 10, verse, verse 1. It says here, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, not the image itself of the things, can never by the same sacrifices year by year, which they offer continually, perfect, and it implies here as to conscience, those who draw near. You know, again and again throughout this whole section, it's, it's exhorting us to draw near. That's why there's a continual exhortation to come forward. Today, we can come forward to the living God with a conscience pure. A pure conscience. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And that's what all of us in the New Testament economy should have. We should have a conscience that has been purified by that work and being applied to us by that intercession today that we can come forward continually on an ongoing basis, not one time a year, not, one of, not just one person from among us. Every one of us can have a personal relationship with the living God. That's profound, profound. So how does, how does effectively the new priesthood, this high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, what makes it different from the Levitical priesthood? What, what separates it? There's a lot of hints in, these, in this chapter here, in these verses. And I think it's on one thing. And I think the key is verse 16. If you were a priest of the order of Aaron, the Levitical priesthood, you got to be high priest merely by physical descent. That's all. The Levitical Aaronic priesthood was appointed by a law of descent. You had to be of the line of Aaron physically. But since it was all ceremony and symbolic, it was not perfect but actually weak and useless perfecting nothing. On the other hand, this Melchizedek priest, he's appointed in a different way. It's not through lineage. It's not through physical lineage. What, what appoints him, 
Listen to this, is the power. And that word there, I don't know if you know this, but that word there in its root is where we get the word dynamite. It's dunamis. It's that kind of power. It's explosive. Nothing can stop it. It's the power of an indestructible life. Uh, some of the translations say endless. I think that's, it is endless. There's no doubt about it. Let's go off here. There we go. It is endless, but it, actually the root word here means indissoluble. Nothing can break it apart. It withstands everything. Nothing can stop this life. Listen. Again, I'm reading from a commentary, but it says, A legal requirement established the successors of, Abra of Aaron. This legal requirement could not guarantee that the individuals were morally worthy of the, assuming the office. How morally worthy was the high priest when the Lord Jesus was killed? Was he a worthy guy? That guy, whoa, he's evil. He's wicked. He was envious. He wanted to kill Jesus. He was working hard to figure out how to kill him, the Son of God. Okay, so there was no moral worth in that, yet he was a high priest according to the law. Okay. Many of them, again, demonstrated no inward personal power toward holiness. This was not true of Jesus. His life, his life, and we're talking about what qualified him was that God himself had to put off the form of God, take on the form of a slave, and come to this earth, live a perfect human life, suffer a horrible death, be buried physically three days, raised again from the dead, ascended to the height, and now is seated in the highest place in this universe. There is a man of God's choosing in glory today. And he ever lives to intercede for us. And nothing can separate us. Even that at the end of chapter 8. What can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus? And I think it has reference to the power of this indestructible life. What can separate you? Life, death, things to come, things present, principalities, powers. Long list there. It's a long list there. He assumed the office due to his own personal power. Okay, so I'm going to end it here. And think about these things again. I want to apply them to today. Okay, so first, are there any Jewish believers in the audience here tonight? Anybody that's a Jewish believer? Okay, we got one. But were you raised in Judaism? No, no. So there's none of us in the exact same kind of condition that the Hebrew believers we're in that this letter was written to but okay so there again they were being tempted to go back to Judaism that's what they knew they grew up in it it was familiar to them it was of God wasn't it it was a God appointed religion okay but I think we have something very familiar similar today I think that there's a whole bunch of what I call Christian religion today. It has the same kind of thing. It believes in ceremony. It believes in uh, all kinds of things. It believes in do's and don'ts. I want to read something quick here out of Colossians. If you don't think that was a problem, 
Well, it was a problem right from the get-go. The Colossians were not Jewish. And Paul says to them here, he says, if you died with Christ from the elements of the world, why as living in the world do you subject yourselves to ordinances? Ordinances like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Does that sound familiar? Don't do this, do that, don't do this, do that, don't. There's a list. Some people have a big list. Some people it's just merely a mental list. It's not a written list. How many of you have a... Uh, a mental list that you try to follow to be a good Christian. Please raise your hand. I know there's more of you out there. Come on, guys. Come on. Here's one right here. Sometimes I grade myself. I grade myself pretty hard. I didn't do too well yesterday. And so I really can't come forward with the boldness that I should come forward with to the throne of grace. Not true. Not true. We have this ceremony. Okay. And you know what? These things in and of themselves, don't misunderstand me. I am not against Bible reading. I'm not against prayer. I'm not against attending the church meetings. I'm not against any of those things. I'm not against good works. But if we believe, brothers and sisters, if we believe the doing of those things in and of themselves constitutes a perfecting of us, we are very wrong. We are as wrong as the Jewish believers. The only thing that can perfect us is this indestructible life of the high priest seated at the right hand of God who is empowering us, enlivening us, enlightening us, drawing us, keeping us, doing all that. And if we don't have direct personal contact with him on an ongoing basis, then we have no ability to go on to perfection. We will not reach the end of what he intends for us. We won't. And so that's what the author is saying here. And you know what? This is our hope. My hope does not reside on me reading through the Bible once every year. I would encourage everyone in the room here, read through your Bible once every year. Do it. But if that is the thing that will save you, if that is the thing that will bring you to perfection, fulfillment of what God intends to you, for you, each and every one of us in the fullness of our lives, that will not be done. It is not that which does it. It is the power of an indestructible life of the Son of God, now as a man in the glory, interceding for us constantly, that will bring us to perfection. Can I hear a strong amen? amen. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, again, um, I really plead with you to open up our eyes to these things. The enemy is here. He loves to veil us. He loves to confuse us. He loves to get us off track. But Lord, you have given us your written word, and you've given us your spirit, and you are there interceding for us even right now. That we would understand these things and truly, truly lay hold of them. Every one of us would know what it is like with boldness to come before the throne of grace and find mercy and find grace for help in time of need. And so, Lord, I pray for that. I pray for every single one of us again. And tonight, Lord, we would come again with all the prayers that are in this room. We'd come to you knowing that you are our great high priest and we would make known our requests in confidence and boldness, not in rashness, but with boldness because of who you are and what you have done.
So we thank you, Lord. All the glory to you.